Thanks for downloading this week's Revolution Community Church podcast. We hope you are challenged by this talk and will share it with your family and friends. If this is your first encounter with Revolution, we'll hope you'll come and visit us at our Logansport campus at 3930 East Market Street. Or check us out online at revolutioncc.org. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode at Revolution, where Sundays are a party, where the family gets together and we're always expecting guests. So I am joined on stage by my friend, and I'll let you introduce yourself to us. Uh, hello, I'm Garrett Barron, junior at Logan Spore High School. Yeah. Uh, Garrett is the starting QB for the Logan Sport High School varsity football team, and we're going to talk a little bit. Um, also a revolutionary, and God's been doing some really cool things in his story, so I'm going to let him share that. But first, what are you excited about for football season? That's where we got to start, right? Yeah, um, I'm just ready to hang out with my friends and just get ready to play some football. Yeah, and this is your second year playing QB. Uh, so this year compared to last, like, what, what are you excited about? Like, what's different, you know, as you guys have been practicing and stuff? Um, I just want to like to see how we improve and see how I improve in individually and see how we get better. How are we going to do? I think we'll do good as long as we get better every day and work as a team. Awesome. That's a good interview, interview answer right there. Um, so uh, we, we got a little video footage to get people pumped for football. So uh, your dad, I think, posted this. Where, where is this pass from? What yard line? Uh, the opposite 40-yard line. 40-yard line. The opposite 40-yard line. To the end zone, yeah. Okay. And this is a, a receiver. Who's the receiver that we're going to see here? Uh, Skylar Trujillo. Okay. So let's just let's roll that footage here. Let's see this pass. That's the opposite 40 down to 35. Look at this. Boom! So, uh, hey, get to some football games, support your local athletics. So tell me about your faith in Jesus, though. So in, in the, both of these collide, but tell me about your faith. Um, I'm just trying to build it, I'm trying to get trust in more. So, and how has revolution influenced that? As, as you've been coming for a few years with your family now and stuff, how, how's, how's it influenced it? Um, they've influenced it great, greatly. Cool. And, and how, how does faith and football connect? Explain that a little bit. Um, you have to rely on Jesus like you have to rely on your teammates in football. And you, you kind of explained it as, you know, as quarterback, what, you couldn't do anything without who on your team? My lineman. Your linemen. And you, you get the credit, but the linemen are the ones blocking, right? So, yeah, and, and that, that kind of relates to faith in that we can't do anything without Christ, right? So um, you took a, a, a big step this year. Actually, we were having breakfast at McDonald's and talking, and you said two for, uh, when you, I think it was your freshman year, two seniors actually were praying before the game started for the varsity games. And then um, that didn't happen last year, but you've decided to take a step this year. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, uh, seniors my freshman year, Riley Hirschberger and uh, Elijah Crow, they would always pray before every game. And uh, we didn't have any seniors step up last year, so I would like to try my best and step up and pray before every game. Yeah. So, uh, and then you took a big step a few, a few weeks ago. I think it was June 30th with your dad and your brothers. We got a picture of this on the screen. 
Yeah, so Garrett was baptized along with his dad and brothers. We got one more picture there. Look at that. What did that, what did that step mean to you, man? Uh, it meant the world, to be honest with you. Um, it made it easier for them to take it with me. It would have been way harder for just me to go up there to get baptized, and it made it a lot easier for my brothers and my dad to go up there with me. That's cool. So, uh, give, like, give a challenge to, like, younger kids in the room here that are pursuing faith, pursuing athletics and stuff. What would be a challenge that you'd give them? Uh, first of all, make church a priority. It's a big deal. And uh, get to practice on time. Go to practice early. Just get better. Yeah. Um, so I told you about, I, we gave uh, my 12-year-old son for his birthday this year a bat. And this kind of relates to, like, a challenge for... Uh, um, for kids pursuing Christ in athletics. It had a verse on the bat. We're going to throw that verse on the screen. Um, Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. And, and as we explained to Jake, and, you know, sometimes you're, you're not going to have your favorite teacher that you are in class with. You're not going to have a best, the best boss in the world. You might not have the best coach, but you, like everything we do, athletics, work, everything is unto God. If you think of it that way, like we'll do our best in everything. So thanks so much for sharing. Uh, you wanted to uh, kind of promote uh, some social media things, so let's throw that on there. So this is uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, just uh, ways to get engaged with athletics. I mean, anything else on that? Not really. It just pe keeps pe people people updated. Yeah. So, hey, let's cheer our teams on this year. We're going to have a great season. Thanks so much, buddy, for sharing. peaks to the deepest fathoms we have seen everything from the smallest elements to the farthest corners of space we have built empires defied gravity conquered the elements we have cured diseases made a heart beat again made the impossible possible again who are we? We are humanity. And there is no limit to what we can accomplish together. So, who needs God? Perhaps nobody. Perhaps everybody. Perhaps we will talk about it for six weeks here at Revolution Church. So, I'm so glad you're here for the first week of this series. And in just a few moments, we're actually going to hear a section of a talk by a pastor named Andy Stanley from North Point Church. This mic keeps cutting out. Can we get something else? Thanks. A uh, uh, portion <laughs> from Andy Stanley from North Point Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. And North Point is actually a movement of churches all around the United States now. And the reason we're going to hear a section of a talk from Andy Stanley, he, the, the inspiration for this series actually came from a series North Point Church did called Who Needs God? Although Revolution Series is going to look quite a bit different than the North Point Series. Thanks so much, buddy. 
So, um, and here's why we're going to listen to a talk from Andy, just a section of it. Andy is 61 years old. He's 24 years older and wiser than me. He's at a different life stage than me, which really, I think, matters with the content that he's going to kind of lay out today. He's a father of three kids. All have graduated high school. Two have now graduated college or in the workforce. So he has this unique, unique perspective on this series and the content that we're going to be looking at in this series. Yeah, this mic's cutting out too, isn't it? Uh, so let, let me just give you a little bit more. Let me give you a little bit more info, though, before we hand it over to Andy. And I might just hand it over quicker than I thought I was going to with this mic thing. So I, as I said, the content is going to look different from week to week here at Revolution as opposed to the North Point series, Who Needs God? One, one of the reasons for that is I'm encouraging everyone to get a book that kind of goes along with this series. Uh, it's by Tim Keller. It's called Making Sense of God, An Invitation to the Skeptical. And if, if you want to take a next step within this, okay, you want to, okay. <laughs> if you want to take a next step within this series, this would be it right here. To get this book, to read the book as we're going through it. I started the book a couple weeks ago. It's, it was five bucks on Amazon when I got it, so hopefully you can get a great deal. The audio, audio book's available if you do that as well. We're encouraging life group leaders to get this book, to read this book, and to use this series within your life group discussions. Like, if you're a life group that kind of does some different studies or goes off and does different things, that's great. We encourage that. Please, through these six weeks of this series, we would like every single life group to be engaged with this this Who Needs God series. It's going to be such an important series, and, and we, we, we're encouraging it so much that we're even allowing short-term groups to start for this series. If you're not in a life group, but maybe you'd be willing to get some friends together to, to kind of join you to talk about this, to discuss this series, you can, you can start a six-week short-term life group for this Who Needs God series, and all you need to do is when you leave today, go to that Welcome Center. Brian Hatcher, our Next Steps director, will be there. We'll, we'll give you some tools to get you started to get you in the email list to get the discussion questions to continue this. So short-term groups can start up. We want all life groups to be engaged in this. And here's why. This may be the most important series we've ever done at Revolution Church. And I, I don't want to give too much of what Andy's going to say away, but, but here's why I say that. Here's why I'm saying that. There has been a huge rise in the anti-faith, anti-God movement over the past 15 to 20 years in our nation. Post 9-11, that big event, World Trade Centers, New York City, a, a bunch of books were released, became New York Times bestsellers, sold millions of copies that were not just anti-Islamic books, but were anti-faith, religion, anti-God books. And probably the most famous of all of them was by a well-known atheist named Richard Dawkins. In 2006, he released a book called uh, The God Delusion. And here's what Richard says in the book about the book. He says, if this book works as I intend... Religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. And so all these books released, and there's this kind of movement away from faith. And there, there's just so much content out in the digital world related to and even promoting and preaching atheism. I listened to a weekly podcast of a guy. The, the podcaster's mission of the podcast is to persuade people to give up their faith. That's the mission. I, w I listen to it every week, and it's, it's this way for help, help me stay engaged within culture because I've always believed, I've always had that faith, and I want to be ready for when my kids start having questions that relate to the questions this guy dealt with and took him away from faith. And there's YouTube channels. That, I mean, there's dozens of podcasts and blogs and, and books and TV shows in this, in this category, in this mission. And because of the rise in this and the lack of the church's response to this, 
There has been a massive shift in our culture away from faith and away from church. And and people that are giving up on faith and that are giving up on church, they're not necessarily claiming to be atheist. They're just moving away from any faith of any kind. And the title of this religiously unaffiliated group of people is the nuns. You have to be careful how you spell that, okay? Not N-U-N-S, not old ladies in white and black. The the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Like, no, no faith. And these people, they're not ready to identify themselves as atheists. That seems too strong. But they've given up their core beliefs in God and Christianity. And religious nuns now make up, this is a 2017 stat from Pew Research, they now make up roughly 23% of the U.S. adult population. And this is a, wide, a pretty large increase from 2007, the last time the study was conducted, where it was a 16% stat. So it's risen 7% in 10 years. That that represents millions of people. And here's the other thing. Within that same time frame, those that self-identify as Christians have fallen 7%. The exact same amount the percentage of nuns have risen. So so this is is a direct correlation. This is people of faith within the church that are walking away from faith and into this world of, I don't know if I believe anymore. Do I even need God anymore? Like, is there even a God anymore? And if there's a God, if there's evidence to that, it, it, do, like, does it even matter for my life anymore? Who needs God? And for, for some of us, as I describe all of this, as I'm talking about these stats, I'm talking about your son. I'm talking about your daughter. I'm talking about your spouse, your coworker, your nephew, your mom, your dad. For some of you, I'm talking about you. Like you grew up in faith, you grew up in the church, and you've taken some steps away from it. For whatever reason, you're here today, and you're not ready to say I'm an atheist, but you're just like, I just don't know if I believe any more. And, and friends, this is the church's fault. Make no mistake about it. Because we, we just stay away from this kind of stuff within the church, and for too long, the church has offered a version of Christianity that is simply not consistent with Scripture and not consistent with Christ. And and the version of faith that is offered in many American churches, it's far from what Christ intended when he launched the church in the first century. And and this is what I believe is the number one contributor to pushing people away from faith and away from church. Because if you read deconversion stories, and we will look at some in this series, if you read stories of people that have walked away, you will find that most people that are leaving the faith are leaving for reasons unrelated to what our faith should really be about. So I have been so excited to get to this series. We've had this plan for over a year now. We were going to do it in July. We moved it back to August. We wanted school to be back in session. We wanted people to be away from the lake on the weekends and back in the church. we so excited. If, if you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this series is going to ground your faith in Christ even more. I believe that. And it's going to give you some tools, some ways to talk to those that are skeptical. If you are a parent of a child or a teenager in the room, you don't even know how big this series is in your life and in your parenting. How big it's going to be as your kids go into college and go into the workforce and start to have questions as their mind develops. If, if you're skeptical, man, this is for you. If you know someone that is skeptical and you did not invite them today, don't miss it. Here's what's so cool. We're going to watch this 19-minute clip here. You can, we're going to share it on social media. You can share it with your friends and say, hey, if you, if you have some of these questions, if you've had some of these thoughts, don't miss the next five weeks at Revolution Church. So with all that being said... 
Let's listen to Andy as he kind of spells out, if we're going to walk away from faith, if we're going to walk away from church, that's also walking toward something. So let's listen in. So today, to begin our discussion, I want to go way outside to the furthest region of this discussion, and today's message is entitled Atheist 2.0, Atheist 2.0, because I want to talk today about what it means to embrace atheism, and here's why. Not because so many people have stepped across that line and considered themselves atheists, but because so many people have stepped toward that line. And here's the thing, and you know this, you cannot move away from something without moving towards something else. You can't move away from something without moving towards something else. So for those of you who've said, you know what, I've lost faith in traditional religion, I've lost faith in the God of my childhood, I've lost faith in God as God has been presented, I've moved away from that, the truth is without meaning to, without being intentional, you have stepped in this direction. And the other reason I want to talk about this is the new atheists, this group of men that I referred to before, and it's mostly men in this category, this new group of writers who've written so much recently and who are so popular in pop culture right now, this group of men, the new atheists, have updated us on what it means to be an atheist. An atheist. They've updated atheism for the rest of us. And as you're going to discover, and as you need to know, especially if you've disengaged from Christianity or disengaged from religion, atheism is way more than simply disbelief in God. Atheism isn't just disbelief in God. Atheism is actually a complex belief system that logically leads to some unsettling conclusions. And you should know this, not because the atheists are wrong. In fact, let me be clear, today is not an argument against atheism, and today is not an argument for theism. Today is just a glimpse at what it means to embrace the tenets of atheism, because you should know. Because as you step away from, you step towards. And we all owe it to ourselves to know. And I'll be fair, most people embrace Christianity before they know what they're getting into. And most people, I believe, embrace atheism or move toward atheism before they know what they're getting into. It cuts both ways. Atheism is a complex belief system that logically leads to some unsettling conclusions. But let me be fair in this way as well. Just because something is unsettling does not mean it's not true. Something can be unsettling and true at the same time. For example, your teenage daughter's boyfriend. (laughs) It's true, that is her boyfriend, and then you met him, and that was unsettling. It was both unsettling and true, right? So every day in our lives, we bump up against things that are unsettling and true. But as we think about atheism, just as we'll talk about when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to atheism, it is a complex belief system. It's not, it's way, way more than I just don't believe in God. Because once you detach from believing in God or believing in a personal God, you, perhaps knowing, perhaps unknowing, begin to embrace a different world view. So today, I want to go over several things that you must embrace to be a good atheist. In other words, if you're going to be a consistent good atheist, here's some things that you must believe. Here's some things that you should consider. And I'll tell you up front, these first three, um, if you've disconnected from God or church, or you would say, yeah, I'm a nun, I'm a proud nun, I don't mind people knowing. The first three things may be things that you think, wait, 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 I don't believe that. I don't think that's how the world works. That's not the way I think. But my point today is to present to you the alternative to theism. So let me be clear. Once God is out of the picture, 
Once a personal God is out of the picture, once creator God is out of the picture, this is what we're left with. And it may be true even though it's unsettling, but we should know what we have stepped towards. We should know what we're getting ourselves into. So, real quick, the first one is the illusion of mind, the illusion of mind. There is no such thing as mind if the universe is governed by the law of physics. Mind is an illusion. Here's what I mean by mind. If to be blunt, there is no you in there. There's just biology. Your biology, I'm biology, governed by the laws of physics, period. There is no you. You are chemistry and biology governed by physics. Now, the, the, the most stark illustration of this, interestingly enough to me, the one that really kind of made me stop and really think about what, what this would look like, actually came from Christopher Hitchens, the journalist that I mentioned a while ago. Christopher Hitchens died in 2011 um, um, from pneumonia that was related to the cancer that he had been battling for a long, long, long time. And so along the way, the doctors would say what doctors normally say, they would say, um, Christopher, your body is reacting, your body is responding, your body's trying to, your body's fighting, your body's giving into, and they would talk about his body, his body, his body. And in the book, he said, I eventually said to my doctors, I don't have a body. I am a body. Now, when I read this, I just, I just had to stop and think, wow, there it is. That's it. If I'm just biology governed by the laws of physics, I don't exist. There's just body. That imaginary thing in my mind that's different from my brain doesn't exist. I don't have a body. There's no Andy. There's just biology that somebody labeled with four letters. It means that you're biology and I'm biology. So here's what, when I read this, I thought, what would it be like to live that way? So I tried, I was gonna try for a whole day. I got about you know, just a few hours and I thought, what would it look like to live as if there's no I and there's no you, that everything is only biology? And it was so difficult. I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even think that way. I thought, okay, Sandra, my wife is just biology and my kids are just biology. Now. This may be true. There may be no you, there may be no I. We may just be biology that just kind of crowded in here or just tuned in. It may be true, but it is virtually impossible to live that way. And here's what I know about you, we've never met. You do not want to be treated like biology. You want to be respected as if there is a you in there somewhere. Now that doesn't make it true. It's just one of the most uncomfortable byproducts of taking theism off the table, of taking God out of the equation. The second one is the illusion of will, the illusion of will, the illusion of free will. Um, in a world governed by physics, there is no room for free will. There is no room for decision-making, that every decision you've ever made is an illusion. You have never actually decided anything. There is no way to explain, there's no way to factor in freedom in a world governed by the laws of physics. Stephen Hawking, uh, you've heard of Stephen Hawking, uh, a brilliant, brilliant, super brilliant guy, written lots of books, famous because he has ALS, he is dying, but he is dying so slow, but his brain is just so brilliant, you know, and he communicates through a device. And um, he, not too long ago, did a, an entire lecture on determinism. Somebody asked the question in the lecture, and he answered it this way. He, I forget the question, but the answer was, man is determined. Everything about man is determined, but it doesn't matter. 
Since it's determined, it doesn't matter because you can't do anything about it anyway. And the audience kind of nervously laughed. It's like, that's true. If it's all determined, then it almost doesn't matter that it's determined because I don't have any control. I don't have any choice in the matter anyway. But then he wrote this. This is, this is so funny. Again, kind of poking fun at his own position. He writes, I've noticed that, every, that even people who claim that everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it, look before they cross the road. Now, this is someone who believes in determinism. He says, you know what? There is no room for free will. There is no room for choice in a world governed by physics. But I have noticed we continue to live as if we have a choice. So once again, when you take God out of the picture, when you, you know, distract, you you know, take theism off the table as an option, you're left in a world, left with a world where choice is an illusion. And That may be true. I'm not arguing that it is or that it isn't. The other illusion, the third one, is the illusion of value. This is the most disturbing one to me personally. That in a world where there is no personal God or no creator, in a world that however it got here, it got here, that we're biology and chemistry governed by the laws of physics, there is no inherent, there is no inherent or actual value. That all value, not just, I'm not talking about monetary value, anything you value, relationships, people, your kids, your job, the whole idea of value is all an illusion. In other words, if I had a box and I said, hey, I've brought you some values, what would be in the box? Nothing. Value is something we leverage every day. In fact, we leverage it in every conversation. I'm leveraging it right now. We leverage the idea of value all the time, but value is not a thing. And in a world where freedom is impossible, value is impossible as well. We experience it, but it is an illusion, which means, which means there is no inherent or actual value to anything. There is only ascribed or assigned value. There is no inherent, there's no, nobody is inherently valuable. We just ascribe value to that person. And if atheism is true, we have no choice over the value we ascribe to those people. Another way of saying it is this, that just or justice, just is just what we want it to be. Just is what we've been predetermined to decide that it is. So when we fight for justice or we stand for justice or fairness or equality or all those things that we talk about all the time, it is all an illusion. It doesn't actually exist. We are making it up. Now, the other things in the list of things you have to embrace if you're gonna be a consistent atheist, if you decide I don't want God in the equation, I don't want religion in the equation, I'm moving in this direction, um, are some things that you heard about growing up. And these are kind of the classic arguments for or against evolution or for or against atheism. The first one is that something came from nothing. Something came from nothing. Um, Still in science today, this is a big mystery. That doesn't mean we won't solve the mystery. We're gonna talk about that next week, actually. It doesn't mean this will never be solved, but currently there there is no coherent hypothesis, there's certainly no coherent theory about where everything came from. We, we, you know, we get as far back as the Big Bang, but there's not even language to talk about before the Big Bang because the word before assumes time. But when the Big Bang bang, time, space, and matter, and the laws that govern everything, the laws of physics, all, were all created in that moment, all came to be in that moment. And in fact, um, Richard Dawkins admits this. He, he famously says this. He says, the cosmology, cosmology, not cosmetology, pay attention, cosmology, because this isn't true of cosmetology, cosmology is waiting on its Darwin. We're still waiting on somebody to come along to give us a coherent explanation of why, and these are, these are the big questions, why there is anything, why there is anything at all. 
The other thing that, that you have to embrace, and again, these are the kinds of things that we talked about in school or talked about growing up, is that first life emerged from no life with no help. That first life emerged from no life with no help. Now, for those of us who aren't scientists, which is most of us, for most of us who haven't thought about these things since you know, high school or maybe a, a lab that you had in college, you know, most of us just don't live in this world. The whole idea of first life coming from no life, that problem is so far away that it seems probable that somehow, some way it worked out. Maybe it's possible. Richard Dawkins says, we know it happened because here we are. So we know it happened, so you know, there's that, that, that argument. But for that to have happened, it is so extraordinarily complex. From lifeless matter, think about this, from lifeless matter to what Francis Collins refers to, I love this, he refers to it as the digital, the digital elegance, the digital elegance of DNA. From lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA. The next one is that natural selection is responsible for all life after the first life. That natural selection, the process of natural selection, this is what Darwin gave us. The natural selection is, um, the natural selection is responsible for all life. Didn't give us the first life, but after the first life. Now, the interesting thing about natural selection is, um, well, uh, let me just read you something. When, when I finished The God Delusion, uh, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, at the end, he talks about natural selection and he gives his own description of natural selection. And honestly, when I read what I'm about to read to you, when I read this, I almost felt like he was making fun of his own view. But as I've read his book and listened to him speak, I realized what he was doing. He was taking what's a very lifeless conversation, you know, the whole idea that there is no God, that anybody that believes in God, they're, they're, it's a delusion. And he's trying to bring back some of the excitement and the energy and the awe and the wonder that all of us should have about the complexity of life. And so this was his attempt. So this is his explanation. This is straight out of his book, The God Delusion, toward the end. This is his description of natural selection. I just wanna read it straight out of the book. This isn't something I've taken out of context. This is, this is exactly what he says. Think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock, gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing and eating, capturing and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. He may be right, and he is a heck of a lot smarter than I am, okay? I have a degree in theology, okay? I am not qualified to talk about any of this stuff, okay? I, I, I just own that, I admit that. But when I read this, I thought, that is overwhelming. But my friends, that is where we are once God is taken out of the equation. And then he ends it with this statement. He says, we now understand, and he's talking about Charles Darwin and you know, his, the origin of the species and you know, his, his big discoveries that when he came out and sort of introduced evolution to the world, talks a lot about that. He says, now we understand, thanks to Darwin, now we understand essentially how the trick is done. And then he goes on to say, before Darwin, we had no idea how matter assembled itself into such complexity and reproduced to get us to where we are today. But thanks to natural selection, now we understand how the trick was done. Here, sort of just my 
personal observation as I've just immersed myself in all this over the past bunch of months. It is, it is virtually impossible, it is virtually impossible for me to think about natural selection without it starting to sound like an invisible personal force with an agenda. When, when I read these kinds of things and when I read what, what's, what's written about natural selection, every time I read it, it feels more and more and more, not less and less and less. It feels more and more and more like an invisible personal force with an agenda. It's relentless, it's disciplined, it can't be stopped. It's like it's moving towards something constantly, constantly, constantly for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years until we finally get to where we are today. But if there is no God, I'm completely mistaken. That it is a process that I couldn't show to you any more than I can show you value or I can show you mind or I can show you compassion or anything else. It's a force that's behind everything that got us to where we are today. And, and there's tons of scientific evidence to the fact that that is the case, that it was natural selection that got us here. The question is, did it have any help? So let's be honest, okay? If you are losing or have lost faith in God, it is more personal than that. Atheism hasn't become more appealing, it's that religion has lost its appeal. Atheism hasn't become more appealing, your version of theism has lost its appeal or no longer seems like it could be real. You have lost something. You have not intentionally stepped toward something else. You lost or you're losing your faith in God. And I'm going to do my best for these next few weeks. I'm going to do my best for these next few weeks, as arrogant as this may sound and as easily misunderstood as this may be. I want to do my best over the next few weeks to convince you that the God that you lost faith in probably never existed in the first place. That the version of God you lost faith in was the childhood God who never grew up. And that you walked away, not because you're not smart, and not because you're not sincere, and not because you're not asking the right questions, but perhaps you walked away from Christianity anyway, needlessly. You had the wrong God. Now, my purpose today isn't to convince you of theism or to convince you against atheism. My purpose today is simply to shine a light on the alternative. Because if there is no God, this is what we're left with. And it may, I'm being honest, it may be true. There may be no will, only the illusion of will. There may be no value, no ought, no ought not, no justice, just the illusion. And there may be no mind. There may be no you. But we hope not. We hope not. See, we've never met, but here's what I know about you. We hope there is more. We hope we are more. But our only hope for that hope is God. So, who needs God? Perhaps we all do. So, yeah. Um, 
I, I love how Andy just leaves us hanging with all questions still unanswered and all the tensions still in the air. Um, the hope today was just to set this thing up and to honestly build more tension inside of you. Because here's why. So that you won't miss a week of this and so that you will talk to someone that is skeptical this week and invite them next week as we journey ahead. So be praying for this series, just that, that God will use it to just kind of open our minds to, to the reality of him and who he is and what he can do and why he is so important in our lives.